This episode is dedicated to my dear friend Alex Hosford, whom the world lost tragically in 2016. We'll always love you and we'll never forget you, bro. Hashtag Alex Forever. In 2009, I picked up a gig as a morning DJ at a radio station on the Caribbean island of Anguilla. My daily sidekick was Alex Osford. Alex was a little over 10 years younger than I was. However, he had an interest in photography, film, really all things media. He was also the younger brother of one of my best friends. Alex had just finished high school and was awaiting answers from job applications. He decided to join me on air every morning. We had tons of fun and really added something new to the airwaves on the island. On an island whose radio stations played primarily soca, calypso, and reggae, we decided to cater to the persons who wanted something different in their mornings. We played soft rock, pop, zook, groovy soca, commercial dancehall, 80s, and pop music. Generally, I would pick the playlists. One day, Alex told me that there was a song that he wanted me to play on air. This was a rare request from him. He said that a friend of his from the UK had introduced him to the song. We didn't have the record, so I looked it up on YouTube, ran the computer's audio through the system, and played it on air. The song was Never Forget You by a group called the Noisettes. I had never heard of the Noisettes. However, from the moment I discovered them, I indeed would never forget them. I was smitten. From that day, we played that song over and over on air. With Alex's passing, the song came to mean even more to me. Over the years, I continued to follow the band's lead singer, Shingy, and her work. It was always a dream to interview her. I added her to my wish list for the Planet 30 podcast. I had no connections to her within my network. The likelihood of an interview was near zero. One night I took the chance. Why not, I said to myself. And so I began. Hello, Shingy. I trust that this message greets you well. Dot, dot, dot. To my surprise, she responded, directing me to the appropriate email address and even added that she was looking forward to my invitation for the interview. Needless to say, I was ecstatic. Shingy Shunua has a voice that you indeed can never forget. She was born and raised in London. Her parents are from Zimbabwe. She carries her family's roots, culture, and legacy boldly, proudly, and most importantly, unapologetically. No matter what she has accomplished, she remains down-to-earth and as centered as ever. With undeniable talent, striking beauty, and an incredible work ethic, Shingy continues to win. She recently released her debut album, Too Bold, a wonderful collection of sounds that, in my estimation, encompass the many parts that make up Shingy and her extraordinary journey through life. I had the pleasure of speaking with her. This is the story, thus far, of Shingy Shoniwa. I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30. She is an international 
artist, uh, singer extraordinaire, Shingi Shoniwa. Welcome to Planet 30. How are you doing, Chris Finn? Thank you for having me. I am doing well. Uh, first and foremost, it is an absolute honor to have you on the podcast. Uh, this is a... Talk about a dream come true. <laughs> Woo! Well, you know, it's let, let's both live the dream. I mean, it's a dream for me to still be doing what I love doing and, and being able to, you know, to um, do my calling. But it wouldn't be possible without the support of people like you. And I'm really, really all for championing, like, you know, um, all the different levels of media. I think the podcast world is really, really exciting. And I love the spectrum of voices that you've brought to the table. So thank you for including me in the lineup. Oh, pleasure is mine. Thank you for being here. How has quarantine been treating you? You know, uh, many artists are going through different things. Uh, some see it as a great open space for creativity, a time to be silent, a time to rest. How's it, how's it been for you? Um, well, I think I've, I've definitely felt the... Um I definitely felt the, the, the sting of like the sudden unpredictability of it all. I mean, like a lot of, in fact, like most artists um, and uh, people in the stage and on screen, you know, a lot of opportunities got pulled from beneath my feet. Uh, I had about uh, a good sort of 20 shows that I probably would have done over the summer to promote the new, uh, the new album. And so they obviously all got postponed. Some of them were cancelled indefinitely. So I think it really hit the musical community super hard. Um, my sister is also in the theatre, so she got, you know, she she was playing Winnie Mandela um, touring in Europe, and that show had to be pulled as well. So yes, it was really really uh, unpredictable and tough for a good few months. But we have to be grateful that we've got our health and that we were given another another opportunity to further our creativity and imagination so i actually had a 12 week um live show that i streamed from um from my hat from my home actually so me and my siblings my brother quay and my sister uh Chipo, um, who were both artists we committed to 12 episodes of a show called grounded mm. live from the fan base so that kept us busy um it was the first time we'd all i guess lived together in the same house as siblings since we were teenagers so you know there was a lot of kind of rebonding with the family and we wanted to all be together and you know and, and not be separated so yeah it was there were so many challenges but the, but doing the show every every saturday live you know it was like seven between seven eight p.m we'd be going live every saturday for anything from half an hour up to an hour with music song writing dance and so that kind of that gave us a focus so i didn't feel like oh my god what am i going to do now so that's how i kept busy for at least three three of the last sort of five months wonderful yeah. i'm sure there's a lot of rediscovery as well with your siblings there was actually and we've never actually worked together you know as a family but everybody is so talented um it was also interesting having to put put out a single um the first single from from the album too bold which which is due to drop this october actually but we put the first single out which is called war drums on the 12th of june um but we also made it available for free so it was it was uploaded onto youtube as well because I didn't want people to feel like I'm saying, hey, buy my single, buy my album. So we actually paused our, um, we postponed our release date for the album to the 12th of October because it really feels like 
there's a lot of really important conversations that the world needs to have and is having. And I didn't really want to sort of distract um, my sort of participation in those, you know, conversations in the best way I could by, you know, promoting a full-length album. So, yeah, we've given ourselves some time by just putting out one single. We did the streams and now we can build up uh, organically to um, our next single, which is actually coming out tomorrow. It's called Echoes of You. Mm -hmm. And then we are going to release Too Bold on the 12th of October. So actually, it's kind of like no rest for the wicked situation for me. I've been literally running and running for like the last kind of decade, really, ever since you were, you know, introduced to um, Never Forget You that we spoke about earlier. And I just feel like this music that I'm about to put out in October, it's bigger than me. You know, the messages on the album are so important that I didn't want to sort of give up on it. And I said, okay, look, I know it's locked down, but I'm going to finish this. I'm going to get this baby over the finish line. So you're actually talking to me in the final furlong of achieving achieving this first, you know, solo album that's fully independent. So there's a lot going on in Team Shingy, but there's a lot going on in the world. So I guess, you know, we need a soundtrack. <laughs> ah, well said, well said. Now, going <laughs> speaking of soundtrack... Uh, both of your parents are from Zimbabwe. Um, what impact did the Zimbabwean culture have on you, both as a person and as an artist? Well, so I actually, um, re- I actually refer to myself as um, as Bantu. So my parents were both born and, and met in Zimbabwe. Mm. Uh, at the time, it was called uh, Rhodesia. Rhodesia, yeah. But my- I, my yeah, but my grandmother is actually from Malawi, and then oh. I have another grandparent from Mozambique. So it's quite important to know that to note that we did not create these borders. You know, those borders were kind of artificially drawn up for the purposes of you know colonialism and, and and all of yeah. those all of those awful sort of awful things. Uh, so there's a lot of us that kind of are, are a bit of a, in in Southern Africa in the Bantu side. There's definitely a lot of us that are kind of like remix baby. <laughs> so, um, so the culture in terms of Bantu culture, Zimbabwe, Malawi, uh, South Africa, Zambia, Mozambique, Angola, um, Rwanda, Burundi, Lesotho, that we have a lot of similarities actually in our culture. And we have a lot of similarities with the rhythms and the food. Um, but what I really definitely feel inspired my direction to become an artist was my childhood so I grew up in um, a very kind of revolutionary household so um, Zimbabwe was one of the very last places to actually achieve their independent you know independence it's actually less than 40 years ago so um, so my mum and my family both fought in they fought in that war so um, you know to be to be a kind of you know child of 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 parents that you know kind of sacrifice their lives and their and their livelihoods so that we could have freedom definitely meant, meant that my freedom meant a lot to me and as I was growing up and and just making sure that their stories were were told I kind of remember that um uh, I've, so I've got this uncle called Thomas Mafumo who's a legendary uh, Zimbabwean artist who plays a lot of what we call Mbira music, which is spelled M-B-I-R-A. Now, Mbira is like our national instrument. It's a thumb piano, and it's used a lot for um, for kind of like 
just like uh, family get-togethers, funerals, um, celebrations, uh, and that kind of thing. And it's called Telephone to the Ancestors. Now, it's called Telephone to the Ancestors because it said that when you play it, you can just kind of invoke the spirit of, of, of you know, the people who are responsible for the fact that you're actually here and just, just kind of like sort of thank them and, and acknowledge them and, you know, kind of hope hope that you're kind of going in the right direction. So my uncle actually had this really, really incredible, famous sort of band called Thomas Reformo and the Blacks Unlimited in the 70s and the 80s. And they were kind of responsible f- with a lot of other artists at that time for... Um, almost like a renaissance of cultural pride that, you know, the colonial administration has stripped stripped a lot of people of. So I think because he presented this ancient Imbira music in such a new, fresh way, you know, the young people at the time were really, really inspired and galvanized to kind of, you know, go fight for their rights and stuff. So that's a kind of like atmosphere that I, those are the stories that I sort of grew up hearing about. And so I guess, you know, also knowing that, um, you know, our family, we lost a lot of people due to post-colonialism mm-hmm. and, you know, other factors. There were, there were a lot of funerals going on when I was a kid. Now, I don't want to say that to make anybody sad. I only say that because it meant that there was a lot of func- functions needed for, like, entertainment. And I guess it's it's definitely the case in most black families where the children, we were kind of like the entertainers of the family. You know, if they say, hey, dance, you dance. Right, right. If they say, <laughs> sing me a little song that you lent in school today or whatever, you've got to sing it, right? So, yeah, I mean, when, when I was nine, my father passed away and then I lost all of my grandparents by the time I was 15. So it was me and my brothers and sisters were very busy, like always coming up with like little shows and writing songs and little mini musicals and getting our aunties and uncles see and you know it it just really gave birth to a very vivid imagination in me I've always been a very curious person and always been really interested in how music can uplift people and so it was such a it played such a healing factor in my in my childhood that I said okay this is what I want to do it makes people happy it brings people together and makes people forget the bad times and I want to be a part of that I want to uplift people that's what I want to do so I guess that's how my cultural kind of beginnings played into me being a musician but also being purpose-driven and knowing that I'm not just doing music for entertainment I'm actually doing music because there are so many voices that didn't come to be because their lives were cut short and these are actually some of my family members that you know I wonder what would they have done you know if they if they were still here and if they had the chance that I had, you know, how hard would they fight for it? So I'm very, very passionate, very purpose-driven and it's not been an easy road because obviously I started creating from a place of grief and sadness but I learned how to use music to recycle that sadness into something beautiful and into something better and into something positive. Mm-hmm. Now, I have a quote from you. Sorry, it's hard, it's hard to keep it short because it's like... Uh, oh, no, no. I'm at a bit of a junction myself as well now where I'm kind of going into a new era and, you know, Noisettes and all the other kind of collaborations that I've done over the last 10 years have definitely sort of set me up to be in a position where I've, I really feel like I can kind of talk more about my kind of process and, and you know, I guess... With when you when you're in the sort of big machine of the pop world, people just 
tend to ask you questions if you're a female, like, so, you know, who's your boyfriend? Or, oh, who's your favourite singer? And it's like, I didn't really get to do as many, like, in-depth, kind of more interesting conversations about what it is to be an artist. And, and, and like, the questions that you're asking me now, I just really appreciate that because well, I'm kind of ready to talk about that now. Yeah, no worries. Your, your boyfriend is your business. I, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's 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 just a very it's just a very mainstream media thing. No, I know, I know. I'm, I'm not I'm not complaining per se because obviously everybody you know loves a little bit of gossip every now and then. But but most female musicians, especially of color, we just don't really get asked about our process. And often our process is like so complex and so colorful. And the the our journey stories to get to where we're going. Sometimes it really blows my mind that like a magazine will come and ask somebody who's just like got all of this fabric in them about one kind of like random aspect. So yeah, it's not often that we get to have the, the, the deep conversations. You know what I mean, Kristen? Um, have, I'm happy to have that deep conversation with you because it's just my curiosity actually, you know. So I have a quote from you here. It says, everybody has their own little soundtrack. And I mm. guess I'm trying to make my own soundtrack to my, uh, to my escape plan. I want people to realize that there's so much more. My question is, can you talk about the idea of escapism with us as humans? And what role does music play in that you know, idea of escapism? I think music plays a huge role in allowing people to kind of feel like they can pause um, pulls themselves from really highly like obligated lives you know I think that like one thing that corona has allowed people to do is actually kind of stop and pause you know people have been saying you know the show must be paused and that's a powerful statement I think that you know um it's interesting that I, I was actually speaking with a friend of mine who's uh, an executive in, 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 a, in a kind of mainstream uh, record label and she was just saying that you know um during the pandemic, people are now, she, she said, Fingy, it's an amazing time for you. Like, I'm really excited about your album because it's now people have got the time and making the time to listen to albums again, to question, you know, how they spend their time and what their obligations are and, you know, how much of that is sustainable, right? On their on their health, on their, on their friends, on their family, all that kind of stuff. So we're living at a time where it feels like music has the potential to play a, a, a larger role and maybe a similar role to, you know, what it played, um, you know, kind of at the backdrop of, you know, anti-apartheid movement, the civil mm -hmm. rights movement. You know, I mean, like, we were, we were saying the other day that, you know, that there isn't, like, a, a what's going on, you know, by Marvin oh, Gaye. Yeah. You know, there isn't a, a change is going to come by Sam Cooke. There isn't a, you know... Young, Gifted and Black by uh, Nina Simone. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, obviously we're all individual artists and we, we you know, we, we all have the right to, to use music to sort of facilitate whatever our feelings are at that moment, you know, as recording artists. But it feels like there's a real space at the moment where people are listening and um, Corona has created this kind of um, potential, this, this active empathy that maybe 
maybe people didn't really have time to be as empathetic before because people were on the treadmill. So in terms of like escaping, you tend to find that when everybody's really stuck in the rat race, you know, we will listen to a lot more kind of fast food music or music that just kind of gets us through that session at the gym or music that just like gets us, you know, down to the club because we've had a really hard week at work and we just want to kind of forget about it I think music can play a lot of different roles and I feel like in my creative journey over the last decade or so I've um, learned that actually um, I think if you really are just kind of committed to the craft of, 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 of songwriting and, and, and creating the best music and you know writing the best music you can you can pretty much sing about anything you know so you were saying like never forget you it's such a universal and powerful song but you know it's actually but it's actually again like one of those songs that's rooted in a bit of a melancholic sad experience so you know it's about a friend of mine that basically um that I lost um and then um imagined kind of like getting back together with her and what that would feel like you know being reunited with her and like it's touched so many people and you know we've also had I've also had huge house kind of hits like um hey hey you know the the track that i did with uh dennis ferrer mm-hmm. so i feel like you can pretty much you know if you've got that craft and you're committed to you know quality in your craft and you have found your unique voice in you know in the spectrum of, of pop music that you feel comfortable with you can pretty much sing about about anything music definitely does help me kind of uh, escape from certain kind of you know emotions or kind of low moments and so I like to write music that also you know can give people like just let let people feel what they want to feel I don't necessarily like writing songs that, that tell people how to live their lives but I definitely like songs that kind of just, you know, kind of go that little bit further with the messaging, even if it's playful or there's a lot of wordplay. And yeah, I mean, there's so much potential now for us to say, you know, what we really feel should be said in music. So I need to, yeah, I need to send you the album because there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of heavy themes on there. But again, I feel like one thing I've learned is that somehow I, I tend to execute heavy themed songs with a really kind of, they always end up sounding quite, like happy <laughs> and upbeat. I'm not quite sure what, why that is, but that's kind of yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. So. Ear candy. Ear candy, exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, who who were some of the people you were listening to um, as a teen? Were you influenced by world music, or did you have a favorite artist? Uh, well, so um, I was really lucky when I growing up as a kid because my parents just had like. Our family just had an amazing record collection. So we, we had everything from Fela Kuti to mm-hmm. um, Nina Simone to um, Mira McCabe, James Brown, Grace Jones, Bob Marley, Peter Tosh. Like, good um, stuff. Yeah, good stuff. Um, Thomas Mafumo, you know, Brenda Fassi, who's another amazing South African artist. Um yeah, you know, Carlos Yobim and lots of Brazilian stuff. I mean, I'm not a big fan of the whole world music uh, categorization, um, especially when it pertains to African musicians or mus- musicians who um, are African descendants. Because I just, I actually just feel that, like, 
over 90 or 95 percent of pop music is is african music of africa exactly (laughs) right so when you kind of like sometimes in this country if you go to a record shop and you say oh where's the world music section it's kind of usually like a dusty corner at the back of the shop where there's like kind of you know you start sneezing when you're trying to find you know you you've got like a manu de bango record squashed with a like i said like a with, with, with some amazing Indian ragas or, mm-hmm. you know, um, Ravi Shankar. And I just feel like it's a little bit reductive to just chuck it all in oh, this world music very much so. bracket. Because actually, I think, yeah, in, in, in sort of in mainstream kind of radio in the UK, you know, um, African artists are still very undervalued and we're still not getting the recognition that we deserve for our contribution to pop culture. Mm-hmm. And, 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 that, and that, that started when they started calling black music urban music, you know, so that kind of anybody can, you know, can, 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 can sing, you know, soul or funk or whatever inspired reggae, African inspired music. So, yeah, I think we're still fighting to, um, still working on, there's a lot of work that needs to be done on getting the recognition of the contribution of Africa to pop culture. So, yeah, I try to be kind of sort of more specific when I talk about the, the, the music that I listen to, especially African music, because Africa is not, you know, as we know, it's it's a continent with so many different layers. And, and there's even different types of, you know, um, kind of, there's different types of, of, of beautiful black music, like in the Caribbean, like Trinidadian music is not the same as music from Barbados or, right. or dance hall is not the same as, you know, I, I was, was going to mention or soccer. And, and I just think actually mainstream media should be should be should should, should, should do their job and they should know these things. You, sh- you shouldn't expect to chuck it in a in a bucket and call it world music. <laughs> well, no, I, I, when I said world, I meant you know from around the world. That's that's what I should have said. But even within the Caribbean context, yeah, we have a struggle because uh, Rihanna brought out work, and some people refer to it as tropical house. It's dance hall. Oh no! This is what I mean. And then, it's and then, uh, iTunes to this day, after th- thousands of hundreds of thousands of concerts and millions of records sold and millions of views on YouTube, there's still no category in iTunes for soca. You're joking. There me. is still no category on iTunes for soca. They lump you in wow. reggae or world. This is it, yeah. Oh my god, yeah. So exactly, that's 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 what I mean. Is there's a lot more work to be done. I just think it's a bit in the age of like social media and how much knowledge there is and info out there. It's just a it's a bit lazy, I think, for um, for journalists that are getting paid all of this money to be music journalists. And you know, there's so many executives, as you said, like uh, that are on iTunes that they could just spend a few days on it and get it done. Create soccer. That's your job. It's supposed to be iTunes music. That it, that's supposed to be all music. You know, you're getting so many people paying you money for subscriptions. Do your job too. You know, we're doing ours, so you guys should do yours too. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, now, this is cool. Sorry, uh, I just I love what you said about Tropical House because oh, yeah, yeah, that was that was a big point of contention. The Jamaicans were like, "What?" Because uh, <laughs> Justin Bieber came out with that song "Sorry," which is to me is a mixture of soca and dancehall. And um, but it's even got Afro beats as well. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is it. It's usually the people on the big salary, and you know, 
sadly, they're often, they're usually, you know, um, white men who have been to college and have... No clue. They've got, they've got degrees in music. How can you not know that? <laughs> they don't care. Um, we'll get there, we'll get there, we'll get of there. Of course. <laughs> you play the bass. Uh, why did that become your weapon of choice? Of all the instruments... Weapon of choice. You made me think of the, you know, the Grace uh, Jones song, Winning yes, Blood. Exactly. This is my voice, my weapon of choice. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Okay, so, so you know, it's actually an accident how I ended up playing bass. Um, so, I had this band with, you know, one of one of my best friends, who's actually uh, Dan, the guitar player, Dan um, Smith, in the Noisettes. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> and um, and we we just played the most like unique most cosmic mixture of like music you'd ever hear i mean we, we had a band called sonafly and uh we would have like jazz we would have like rock and roll riffs in there we'd have that kind of like punk kind of attitude but we'd also have like loads of kind of southern african and west african cross rhythms because our drummer was like really really into that as well and just such an incredible drummer tom man so we basically just had this un like undefinable music that we were playing and um and when we kind of uh, evolved from that band to the noisettes we started kind of auditioning people and i just think <laughs> like i think we tried to audition a couple of bass players and they were like oh my gosh i don't know if i can keep up with this so dan was like shingy you're just gonna have to play and here you go here's the bass you write the songs with me anyway and you're always singing me the bass lines, how you think they should go, or how you can hear them in your head. So why don't we just get you on the bass? And that was that. The rest was history. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I had played guitar um, a little bit before. Um, my mum my got me a, a guitar for my 16th birthday. I was really happy about that. But I didn't actually really start playing bass uh, yeah, until I was until I was in uni. And, and Dan and I were... We're just kind of at the beginning of our like starting different bands and stuff. Mm. Now yeah. your, your name in the Shona language means bold or courageous, and you exude mm -hmm. that in your music and your and especially in your style. Um, I must say you always always look good on stage. But tell us about your style choices. Oh, that's, thank you so much. I'll take that compliment. Um, well, I think it, a lot of it goes back again to um, just growing up in a very vibrant um, Southern African household. Also grew up in South London, which is a very vibrant and diverse area of London. So it's a place where you just get this melting pot of culture. So you've got your Nigerian aunties in the market. You've got your Ghanaian aunties selling, you know, selling a selling yams and there's these giant snails kind of <laughs> that uh, ca crawling out of baskets and there's plantains and there's also you know an Indian family on the road there's like you know I, I grew up in a community which is so beautiful so diverse um, lots of Caribbeans as well I grew up with um, a lot of Bayesians and Jamaicans and um, and yeah we just kind of it just meant it was a very kind of like loud, musical, colourful neighbourhood. Um, and, you know, you would kind of pick up on 
on the styles of like, you know, the aunties with the big head wraps and all the huge colourful prints and the mm-hmm. petite prints that we have as well. So I think that really, really inspired my my style. Also my grandmother um was the village the village tailor, the village dressmaker in, in Malawi. So she was very gifted in the clothes making department and could literally sew up a broken heart so she taught me a lot about yeah being confident and and you know um you know just not being shy about your vibrancy you know and if you're feeling in a low mood put a splash of color chuck a chuck a colorful head wrap on or or change the colors of your shoelaces she'd give me all these little tips you know and um i was very close to her and, and sadly she passed away when i was 15 but i definitely sort of took over from her with the whole she loved colors she used to knit all these beautiful bright jumpers with different colors she was just yeah really creative like that so i think that's where it comes from mm-hmm. and you often perform barefoot now is this for mm. is this a statement or is this for comfort <laughs> this is actually it's a mixture so it's, it's mainly practical i do try to walk on stage with heels and i always say right okay i'm gonna do this gig in heels I'm, i've got this but it just as soon as I'm halfway through the first song, Spirit just wants me to just kick them off and I just feel much more comfortable not having anything get in the way of like, you know, the potential dynamicness of my performance. I think it's really important that, like obviously I love, you know, um, kind of self-expression through fashion and through style and through colours and through outfits and through clothes. But when I'm on stage, I just feel like I am there serve the music and take people to another level but if I am already constricted because I'm wearing seven five inch heels or I'm wearing something that's too tight how am I then gonna really be able to give it my all you know because I'm thinking oh I don't want to fall over or I don't want to get this white you know skirt dirty I just feel like on stage that's my office anything goes and it's no place for a pair of heels holding you back when you need to do an emergency cartwheel or handstand (laughs) (laughs) so yeah when I'm on stage I'm very yes I am bold and brave but I'm also very playful um my totem is a monkey and so um totems are very um a big part of our culture in Bantu southern Africa your totem is basically like your um, animal guiding spirit that you mm, kind of spirit, inherit from your father's song. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and mine is the monkey. So when I'm on stage, um, you know what? I, I just, I really just want to be there to serve the music 100, so that everybody has a great time. This would, this and, would explain the speaker yeah. climbing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, I just, I, sometimes I think I just, I actually feel like I'm invincible, and I feel like. I'm a vessel when I'm on stage and it feels like nothing is impossible. And and I think with the speaker climbing, it started off because I used to, like, we used to put on a lot of our own shows. Like, um, in, in East London and South London, we'd call, we'd call them squat parties because they're often in, like, squatted buildings because um, it was really, really hard to get shows, you know, when you were doing music that was really, really out there, okay? So we used to put on our own, uh, our own squat parties. We used to put on our own events, our own shows. And um, often, you know, like the, the, the floor would be so uneven that maybe the people at the back or the people in the corner couldn't see because it wasn't exactly a theatre per se. So um, initially, I ended up using my kind of like gymnastic background and climbing around just to make sure that everybody could get a vantage point wherever they were. You know, it's that whole saying about it's not just about the people in the front row with the $200 tickets. It's about the people in the back as well. 
and you know coming from like you know kind of very humble origins where we didn't always have that much money around and but my mum still managed to take us to gigs and concerts I also knew that actually it's the people in the back with the twenty dollar tickets that are always often having the more fun, the most fun mm-hmm. <laughs> so you, you reach them and then they Mexican wave that vibe all the way down to the front and you've got the whole room oh my goodness <laughs> but now it's just a thing that I kind of do for fun you know not all the time but sometimes <laughs> but yeah it started off just because of pra- practically I needed to reach people that couldn't see the, what was going on on stage because it was you know probably such a kind of mishmash <laughs> thrown together venue <laughs> Now, I, I know that you wanted to be an actress, um, and you did study theater, but how has your knowledge and love of theater, how has that added to you as a musical artist? Um, I think it's, it's really just empowered me in terms of my storytelling uh, as, as an artist, because, mm. you know, we're not just singers, are not just there to kind of you know, yes, we have this, this 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 talent that we've cultivated in terms of, like, using the voice as an instrument. And some of us prefer kind of, like, the side where we get to do the vocal acrobatics. Every singer's got a different part of their voice that they enjoy. One of the things I really enjoy about music and about song is storytelling. And so having a theatrical background and learning scripts and learning about character and, you know... Um, you know, just learning about what was what, what was behind the lyrics of the song is something that made me want to write, or, or a poem, is something that made me want to write songs and poems and short stories myself. And because I write all of my songs, um, uh, obviously I co-write with other people often, but... I, there's not, there's not, unless I'm doing a cover, there's not, a, there's not a noisette song or a shingy song that I haven't written myself, haven't been part of the writing process. So if I'm writing that story, then I need to be able to sort of sing it and tell it in a, in a compelling way. And so theatre really, really helps with your delivery, I think. And it also helps, I think it helps you kind of lose, you know, there's, there can be a lot of, you know, a, a lot of singers and performers obviously have confidence issues, especially singers. And, and, and so what I do is I embrace my theatrical background and it, it kind of helps me lean back into the music a little bit more because I kind of imagine that I'm going into character sometimes. And it helps me, like, not take myself so seriously as well all the time because sometimes... You know, you're singing about heavy stuff, but there's all, but but there's always kind of like, you know, like some of the gig. You know, when you go to a concert, you know, there's that moment when the singer says, "I'm going to tell you a story." They tell you a little bit about their personal life, but then the next song might be a light moment. So I think theatrical trainings just help me understand dynamics, help me understand storytelling, and help me understand the power of the stage and how the stage doesn't have to just be the physical stage. For me, you know. Um, that whole venue is the stage, if, 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 if that makes sense. Excellent. Yeah, no, it does. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Now, in uni, as, as you say in, in, in Britain, uni. <laughs> um, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> you, Good accent. That was, that was great. You smashed it. <laughs> you joined with Dan Smith, your, your friend and colleague, to form the Noisettes. Um, so, two-part question. I've always been curious about this, number one. Uh, how did the, you come up, how did you arrive at the name, the Noisettes? And then two, tell us about the, the entire experience, uh, during that time of your in your career. Well, you know, it's funny cause, um, the Noisettes, the name came 
it was a bit of a kind of like accidental kind of joke, a bit of a play on words from Dan. So we have these um, these really kind of cheesy uh, chocolates um, that you give to people like at Christmas or, or on special occasions like birthdays. And they are called, um, they're called Roses Chocolates. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also another box called Quality Street. I'm not sure if you guys have them in America. Not sure. So basically, like, it's a tin, okay, so it's like a tin of chocolates, and it's for, like, the whole family to enjoy. But there's, lo- but there's lots of different types of chocolates in the box. Ah, yes, so one yes. of them might be, you know, like, one of them might be a caramel, one of them might be, like, toffee, one of them might be a truffle, one of them might be a dark chocolate. And everyone in the family's got, like, their favorite one that they kind of fight over, right, in the box. And mm-hmm. go, oh, no, I want that one. I want the mint chocolate. That's my favorite. And so... As I said, um, in the beginning of, um, of the Noisettes, when we were um, evolving out of our first band, which is called Sonafly, um, we were trying to find a name, and the music was so difficult to describe. It was just like a mishmash, as I said. It had like, I mean, we were basically, now they call it, now they call it genre fluid, but I was genre fluid since day, day one, okay? And... Um, and so, because we had like jazz in there, we had a bit of rock in there. You know, I was also really inspired by house music as well, and and, and techno, and garage, and just anything that was like exciting and that like made people want to move, right? And so, Dan basically came up with the name the Noisettes, which is basically it's the sweet in the box of Quality Street, which nobody ends up eating because it's like got like seven different things in it it's got like orange cream it's got like a (laughs) hazelnut in there it's got like dark chocolate and then on the other side it's like milk chocolate it's basically that one where like it's 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 in the box the following christmas it's still there (laughs) kind of thing so so as a joke he kind of like thought that was a good name and i just found it hilarious so i just went along with it and it just it just stuck and we then found out when we started touring France and Europe that it meant, you know, a little nuts, basically. Like, when someone or something is a little nuts, they call it the noisette because it means uh, hazelnut, uh, the noisette in, in French. So I was like, yeah, I can be a little nuts, so I'll take it. Well, it's, <laughs> it's, it's great for Google, I'll tell you that much. It is. I mean, you Google that and you could be there all day. <laughs> <laughs> what was the experience like? I mean, going from... You know, as you said, these in the equivalent here in the states, basement parties to yeah. touring the world. Well, I mean, it's, you know, sometimes things happen so fast. You just like it. Just it felt like there was not a moment where I actually was still. And um, I guess there's something about kind of growing up in 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 a really sort of like humble kind of place in a really humble neighborhood where you have to fight every single opportunity that you get that means that when you do get an opportunity you just really want to make the most of it and and you know seize the day and so you know we were signed to um a major record label which actually behind the scenes uh was 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 kind of traumatic in some ways because you know i was the only um black well i was the only female of color on the label and um like i said every opportunity was fought for so no opportunity went to waste you know i mean you know down to sort of like where we toured if we got tour support like for example i remember we did um afropunk um we did one of the first afropunks i think it was in like in new york in brooklyn yeah uh, in 2000 yeah in brooklyn and uh the label uh because we were quite marketed to um 
kind of middle class white audience at the time. The label didn't understand why it was such an important show for me to do. <laughs> mm. So, you know, and it was the same when we went to go and tour um, Southern Africa. We went to do some incredible shows in Malawi at a festival called Lake of Stars. Um, and then we did another festival called Haifa, which is Harare International Festival of the Arts. Um, and just things like that, shows like that, supporting you know, um, black media institutions. Like, you know, when I got my first uh, front cover offer for, for Afro Hair and Beauty magazine in the UK or Pride magazine in the UK, the label just wouldn't get that. So every sort of opportunity that I had was so hard fought for. I literally had to, you know, kind of um, state my case every time uh, an opportunity that I felt was really sustainable and that was giving back to our community would come along. So backstage, there was like a lot of uncomfortable things um, about um, about that time um, of the band. But what we made sure of was that it never, ever affected our performance on stage. Like the stage, like I said, is my office. That's a sacred space and I don't mess about. We come to go on a journey. We're going to have fun. It's going to be a roller coaster. We might go up. We might go down. But it really is a, it's such a special experience for me. So we just kind of flew by the seat of our pants. And, um, you know, I managed to get, um, we managed to get out uh, of our deal and, you know, don't owe the label any money and all that kind of stuff. And, oh, that's you know, uh, <laughs> since then I vowed to just be kind of, you know, as, as independent as possible because there's something quite rotten at the core of, 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 of the sort of major label industry format, especially where where um, people of colour are concerned and where women are concerned and where, you know, how we're treated and what the, me what the messaging rhetoric constantly is that's constantly sort of bombarded and that we're constantly supposed to kind of churn out. So it was kind of like important to be in that system because I understood how it worked and I understood, you know, um, um, I, I understood, like I said, you know, freedom is quite important, you know, and I come from, you know, I come from a family who, whose, whose freedom was really, really recently hard sort of won. So, so, um, yeah, now I'm independent and, um, you know, just trying to make sure that all aspects are, are good not just on stage we're making sure that backstage things are good people are treated well people are taken care of people are respected you know and um that's something i always vowed i wanted to take into my solo um sort of junction of uh era of my career so yeah okay. i hope that kind of covers some of that <laughs> no it does it does describe to us your writing process are you sort of a go with the flow, I'm going to wait until the spirit hits me, or are you sort of well planned out with your how you structure your, your music? Well, um, I would say um, it depends on who I'm writing with. I really love collaborating with people, and um, I, because I play instruments, um, and, you know, I might not play lots of instruments perfectly, but I'm quite a sort of curious person um i just try to let my kind of spirit lead and, and lead from the heart lead from the, with with my imagination and then you know the best collaborations tend to sort of come out i'm not so fond of the more prescribed songwriting sessions where like people are very very under pressure to, to, to feel like they need to make a hit um so yeah I, I like to explore with people and to to, to to write in the process that brings out the best in both parties 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I definitely prefer writing sessions where there are instruments as well, not just like, you know, six or seven people round, round, round a laptop or a computer. I definitely think that when you bring instruments in, when you bring raw instruments in, uh, you know, with the technology, it really, really changes the game. You are a very charitable person. You've appeared on several records for charity, events for charity. Why is that important to you? Um, well, I mean, it's, it's really important to give back. And, you know, I think, like I said earlier, I just, I grew up with a, with, with a deep sense of sort of like the importance of gratitude um, and acknowledging, um, you know, and, and just when you come from a background as well, when you're quite aware of what your, what your parents and, and, and your grandparents sort of sacrificed, for me, it wouldn't make any sense to have made it if, if, if I didn't share that with our community, if I'm not inspiring our community, if I'm not, you know, using my um, my position and my voice and my platform to, let's say, help drive prosperity, you know, in Africa or other places where, you know, African descendants are, then it just, I think it would just feel a bit too selfish and soulless for me. I just don't think I would enjoy it as much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you were also signed as a model. And you provide the voice of Teal in... Yes, yes, children's <laughs> cartoons, yeah, for CBBs. I love that, yes. I love that. was one of my favourite pro, um, projects to do, actually. If, I actually recommend it to, even to people to watch that don't have kids. Because, yeah, it's just, one of the, it's just one of those shows where it's just like, even recording it, it was just written with you know, with such love, and it's, it's really just, I, I just love stuff that stimulates um, children to use their imagination, and inspires children and adults to use their imagination, and so yeah, I really enjoyed doing that, um, and I, I probably, after this album, I'll definitely be doing a lot more film and theatre stuff, and making more space for that. Wonderful. So that, yeah, because that, that was my follow-up question, is there anything else that you'd like to accomplish within the, the sphere of the arts? Yeah, I mean, what's what's his space? I mean, in, in terms of like the the songwriting on Too Bold, the lyrics and the songwriting are very, 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 very versatile. But I've also gone really, really dug deep and, and gone into gone into a place, um, and I'm singing about a lot of stuff that may is definitely going to provoke a lot of um, a lot of conversations. So I'm definitely going to need a bit of a break. I think after that. And then I'm just going to carry on diversifying in my storytelling. Like I said, you know, um, I've, I'm inspired by, by theatre, you know, by um, film, by music, by movement. And for me, all of those are, are vehicles for storytelling. And we've got so many stories to tell um, in our culture as African descendants. And me specifically, from, from the Bantu side, there's some incredible stories that need to be told so I'm going to be doing my best to do my part in getting those stories out there mm-hmm. getting them told yeah mm-hmm. now Shingy who or what inspires you um I just think just just, just the just the I I'm inspired by by the notion that art can play a really he, big healing role in society and can bring can, can play a big role in bringing people together Obviously, these are very unpredictable times, and um, I just feel like 
we're going to need um, artists now more than ever that are unafraid to kind of sing about things and, and express things that need to be expressed. So I'm just kind of here to serve, really. Um, and it helps me as well with my healing process. You know, as I said, I, I lost, you know, a lot of family members, you know, due to the whole kind of colonial and post-colonial experience. So I need to know that they can rest easy as well and that it, it wasn't in vain, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They, did, they didn't die for nothing. So, yeah, that, that, that definitely drives me knowing that actually, you know, um, I can actually help to tell their story as well and make sure that those people are valued because there's a lot of us that wouldn't be here without the sacrifice of others. Mm. Tell us about the album, the new album. Well, the new album, Too Bold, I'm I'm very excited about it, but I'm also petrified about, about it, if I'm honest, because, yeah, I'm thinking about a lot of, a lot of, just a lot of deep stuff and a lot of real things that have actually happened that you probably listen to that song and be like, oh my God, she's so happy. How come she's so happy all the time? She's been through this, she's been through that. So yeah, I'm singing about just a lot of things, but not like to leave people walking away feeling low. I want people to walk away feeling a sense of like hope because, um, you know, music and the creative community you know, really, really, really helped to sort of like save me, um, you know, from a lot of sorrow and kept me focused. And I want to show people that you can actually, yeah, use music as a force of good. And as you said, as a weapon of choice. So, um, yeah, there's, you know, I'm, 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 co- I'm, I'm a lot more hands on in the production of the album and there's some incredible collaborations on there and so yeah i really want people to listen to it and just really want it to spark a worldwide conversation as to what people get from it i'm really really looking forward to that awesome what is your ultimate goal when you're 105 and you're on your rocking chair what do you what is that thing that you say i wanted to accomplish this and i did it I don't think we should obviously go through go through life, you know, willy nilly. But at the same time, um, I would definitely feel a sense of regret if I feel like you know my my music and my creative career didn't shine a light on those whose stories um, were untold. So for me, I'm all about making sure that our stories get out there, and, and you know. I'm going to sound like a broken record now, but I just, you know, I really feel like there is a revolution happening. And I've been saying this for quite a while now, because I think a lot of people feel like revolution has to be this stereotypical vision of like millions marching down a boulevard with fists in their air and green berets or whatever and AK-47s. That's not necessarily how... The, the, the contemporary revolution is manifesting itself. Yeah, it's manifesting itself in galvanizations of groups of people who were driven to, to make to, to make a change and to make a difference so that we can, you know, um, have a future that's more sustainable and so that justice can be brought where it's necessary. So I feel like art and music and popular culture plays a huge role in that because music and popular culture, as you said in the beginning of our conversation, 
it's the soundtrack to whatever it is that's going on with us as, as human beings in the Western world right now. And so for me, I just really want to make sure that um, we kind of, we we don't kind of like, I just, I, I, I just want to be brave enough to sing about the stuff that I really, really feel needs to be sung about, you know, and, you know, maybe it's part of kind of, maybe that's my part in sort of helping my, helping my ancestors and helping our people, the ones that have, the ones that have lost their lives, you know, it's not just so much about vengeance, but there is a sense of, I think there's a lot of restlessness that I can feel in our communities. Um, and that's because a lot of our stories have not been heard properly in popular culture. You know, it's really nice that, you know, there's so many incredible artists of color that are out there entertaining us and, you know, writing songs about whatever we want to write about. But I really feel like there are people that sort of risked opportunities for themselves to just to sing about more and just to galvanize people to come together and like change the things that they really do not feel are, are you know, the, the things that are holding us back as a people. So, you know, when I talk about people like Sam Cooke and like Nina Simone and, you know, Bob Marley and, and, and Fela Kuti, I feel like, you know, there's no reason why, you know, I can't sort of dig deep and sing with a similar kind of authority and 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 poetry and and melody and a bravery in in you know in the spirit of a lot of fantastic great people like that you know so I think yeah I probably the only regrets I would have is like um, just you know not being brave enough to sing about what I felt was right and um, being part of being being a positive part of you know the revolution in some way so that you know like if my nieces and nephews want to you know be musicians one day I don't have to go oh my god no please don't go into the music industry it's terrible it's this it's that I have to do something about it I have to do whatever little changes I can I have to sing about our people and sing about the stories that most pop stars won't because they're you know they've got all these obligations to this branding deal or to that brand or to that you know, trainer brand or to this record company. I don't have those obligations, you know. I, you know, I've, I kind of, I've worked so hard and, you know, I've made sure that the world knows that I can write a decent, you know, amazing pop song, you know. And, and you said, never forget you still stick to you to this day. So I'm now ready to carry on writing those amazing songs, but about something bigger. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I think someone needs to do it. People need to do it. We need to step up to the plate, and we need to sort of like, yeah, just don't don't fear compromising opportunities with with companies and brands that don't even share our values or care about us anyway. Mm-hmm. That's the vibe. Now, Shingy, this is the end of the interview, and usually what I do is cool. I have something called "The Planet Is Yours," where you tell the audience whatever it is you want to tell them, followed by how they can get in contact with you. The floor is yours. The floor is mine? Oh, my gosh. If the floor is mine, the first thing I want to do is I would share the floor. I think every voice is important. Um, I really can't wait to get out on the road and do more shows again. And when I do some more live gigs, I'd love it if you guys could be there. 
Um, I really, really hope you guys enjoy the album. I really, really went deep into my feels to create it. I had to go, you know, into some uncomfortable places, but hopefully um, it's something that, you know, you guys can relate to on some level. And I just feel really grateful to still be here and to be sharing the floor with you, the audience of this amazing amazing podcast so thanks for having me crispin and um i look forward to yeah i look forward to your reactions to especially some of the lyrics on the album which is going to drop on the 12th of october let us know let us know your your thoughts and your feels let us know what it conjures up tell us your website and your socials before you go uh yeah so i'm um s-h-i-n-g-a-i at shingai you can call me Shingy, but yeah, I'm at Shingai on Instagram, and it's Shingy Music on Twitter, I believe. Um, and I will, I think it's yeah, and I think it's Shingy Official on Facebook. Always so, yeah. on the run, Shingy. I cannot thank you enough for being here. You're welcome, darling. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Oh. I look forward to visiting <laughs> your beautiful island one day as well. For sure, for sure. Okay. Thank you for listening to this episode of Planet Thirty. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at OnPlanet30. Like us on Facebook.com slash Planet30. Our email address is OnPlanet30 at gmail.com. That's O-N-P-L-A-N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y at gmail.com. For more information about Planet30, visit our website, Planet30.com. That's P-L-A-N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y dot com. I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30.